You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. So what I'm trying to say to you is, is that your relationships is all rigged. They're all rigged. All of your relationships. All of them. They're like a Ponzi scheme. A Ponzi scheme, I don't mean to insult you. Uh, You look like fine people to me. In fact, I look around the room and I doubt there's a single one in this room that has ever done a decent Ponzi in their life, except for me. So I've got to tell you how it works. You know, you've got a lot of money. And, and, And I come up to you and I say to you, how would you like me to double your money? And so you give me your money. And of course, I take it for myself. But that's no problem, because I'm going to come, I'm going to find you and you, and I'm going to make you the same offer. How would you like me to double your money? And you like that offer, don't you? So you give me your money, and I take it, and I, I give it to him. Now i got a happy customer. He likes doing business with me, doesn't he? And so i got another deal for him. How about we go for four times as much? I was good for double, I'll be good for four times, double it again. So he gives me his money. And all I got to do is find myself four more of you that will make the same deal. It's easy. You make money so easy. The only thing is you got to keep hustling. You got to keep doing it or you die. I mean financially. Or sometimes more than that. You die. And that's the thing about your relationships, see? In every one of your relationships, you got an account. You got an account. You may not think about it, but there's an account there. And whatever you got in that account, you're passing on to somebody else. You got a debt, you got to go collect some money to pay that debt. You got an account that's filled with money, more than you can keep, you got to share it. You just have to. It's the way a Ponzi scheme works. Maybe you're wondering how I know so much about relationships and Ponzi's. Well, I was in the business. My name is Matthew, Levi. I was a tax collector. Yeah, there's good money in tax collecting, and it's not as hard as you might think. Here's how it works. Back in the day, we had a king. He was a huge king. They called him Caesar. I never actually met the guy, but I met his boys. And what they would do is they'd come into town and they'd say, we need someone here on the ground, someone to collect the taxes from the people, someone who's real kind, people will give money to him. And then what you do is you make a bid for the contract, right? They're not going to give this job just to anyone. They're going to give this job to someone who can make them rich. That's what a king wants to be, is rich, doesn't he? And so you say to yourself, how many friends do I have that I can get a little bit of money for to pay back my debt? And you come up with the biggest number you can possibly imagine. And you raise your hand and you bid that to the king. If I'm your tax collector... I will pay you back this much money. And if you're good, and if you're crazy, you got a huge bid, and you got a contract. Now, I kind of know a lot of people, a lot of relationships doing this. What I would do is I'd set up a toll booth on a road. It's the road between Damascus and Galilee. Anybody who's got to get from Damascus down to Jerusalem and Palestine down to Alexandria and Egypt is going to come along my road and they've got to pay a tax to the king. Well, actually, they pay the tax to me. 
because I've got to pay the king back. See, the thing about tax collecting is once you've got a debt that big, it affects your whole life. It affects every relationship you have. You've got to collect against it. And that's what Jesus is telling us in this story, see? He's telling you about the account that you have that influences all of your relationships. What I want to do is I want to make sure you understand the story. And then I want to tell you how your relationships are rigged. And then I'm going to tell you what you can do about it. I write the story. Because you've got to understand the story that's being told. First of all, it's a great king. And the king, he's got a lot of people that owe him money. He's decided, you know, I really want to get out of the debt business. I want to settle my accounts. I don't want anybody owing me anything. Just tired of that whole thing. So he calls in all of his debts. First guy that comes in, slave who owes him 10,000 talents. See, they normally laugh when I tell them that. You guys look like good people. I like the synagogue. Nice people. All well-dressed kids and everything. It's cute, you know. But you've got to understand what 10,000 talents means. I mean, Jesus is telling a joke. This is like a guy walked into a bar. You know, there was a, a slave who had a debt that was 10,000 talents. And we're all laughing. We think Jesus is going to tell a joke. Let me do some math with you. I'm good with numbers. If you were a day worker, you know, out at the hardware store looking to be picked up by a pickup truck and work for the day, the person who hired you to work on their property for one day would pay you a denarius. That's one day's wage. Now, a talent, that was the biggest unit of currency we had. And there were 6,000 denarii in one talent, 6,000. This debt is 10,000 talents. For a slave, for a day worker, to earn that much money, he's got to work for 200,000 years. That's how big this debt is. It's big, all right? Now, we got a King uh, Herod, they call him. You know what his annual income is? It's only 900 talents. That's big money, but it's only 900. 10,000 is the size of the debt. Well, the taxes that we collect here in... Uh, Galilee and Perea together on an annual basis, 200 talents. That's big money. It's the whole region. But here's a slave. 10,000 talents is his debt. Jesus has taken the biggest number and the highest unit of currency. He's put them together and what he's basically saying to you is a gazillion dollars. That's what this guy owes. So it's pretty big. And he comes to the king. And, and the king says... Okay, I want my money back. And the slave falls down on his knees and he says, listen to what he says. He says, Oh, great king, I could never pay such a large sum to you. Would you please just write the whole debt off? Would you just forgive it? Would you just pretend I don't owe you anything? That's what he says, right? No, that's not what he says. You guys know better. You've read the story before. He doesn't ask for forgiveness. Who would have dared to ask for forgiveness? No right to ask for forgiveness when you owe a debt. No, what he asks for is time to go and collect the money. He says, oh, king, be patient with me. Give me some time that I might go and pay you back everything that I owe you. Now the humor turns to pathetic tragedy. How can a slave do something like that? And the king is moved with compassion. This word, 
by the way, I'm a little proud to say, modestly though, of course, that I wrote this story. I mean, I copied it down. And I used a word as I did that I don't use of anybody else in the whole of my books called Matthew that, uh, except Jesus. Jesus alone gets to use this word and this king. He was moved with compassion. There was something about that slave and his debt that made the king say, you know what? Your sin, your debt is forgiven. It's done. He releases him. I don't want a penny. You're gone. Get out of here. You're free. Now that's surprising. How does the slave respond? It's even more surprising. No sooner has this pardon left the lips of the great king than this slave walks out and seizes somebody by the throat and says, pay what you owe me. What's he doing? That's a shock. You know, you know anybody who's just been forgiven a debt that large is not going to walk out and grab someone and ask them for money. We'll come back to that in a minute. But that's the story. That's the story that describes your relationships and mine. Now, I told you I'd tell you how your relationships are rigged and what to do about it. So, how are they rigged? I'm talking about your relationships now, not a slave. Well, you read the Bible, right? Well, you read the beginning of it, at least. You read Genesis, and you read the story there of the first relationship. Remember, God created a man. He said, it's not good for the man to be alone. And so, he went out and took a rib and made another person, a woo man, and now they could have relationship. There was community. And this was the best relationship that has ever been on the face of this earth. The Bible tells us these two people were naked and unashamed. That means they could be exactly who they are and be valued for it. But it doesn't last long, does it? No, it goes bad quickly. Do you remember what happens? I mean, how does this perfect relationship go bad? Does the the man say something to the woman that he shouldn't have said? Criticize her? Be a little bit insensitive? Or does the woman do something to hurt the man or withhold something from him that she shouldn't? No. These two have an ideal relationship. The problem isn't between the two of them. The problem is between them and their God. You see, no matter what you and I think, relationships are spiritual things. All of them are spiritual things. And they're never just between you and me. They're always between God and you and me. And so, like two magnets, as soon as they have fallen out of relationship with God, they begin to move away from each other. Why? The Lord had said, on the day that you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. A buddy of mine, they call him Paul, says it a different way. Paul says, for the wages of sin is death. That's a debt, my friends. That's an existence-threatening debt. And on the day they turn away from God, these two have unplugged themselves from life and they live now under a huge debt. And that debt with God pushes them apart. I don't even know if they know it, but they feel it. They were naked and unashamed. Now they are covered and fearful. 
I think she thinks, hey, I know he's got a huge debt. I know he's got to repay it, and he's going to come after me. He's going to start hustling or fleecing me to pay his debt. And he's thinking the same thing about her. Well, this introduces harm into human relationships. Fear. And that harm will escalate. See, these two, they have, uh, they have kids. Two boys. Cain and Abel. And with God in the backdrop of that relationship, again, it doesn't go well. They harm each other. The one will kill the other. Seven generations, the harm escalates. It multiplies until we get to a man by the name of Lamech. And if you could ever have a tax collector like Lamech, that guy knew how to get it done. He would extract a pound of flesh to get you to pay. Listen to how he boasts to his wife. Wives, he's got two by then. Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me. A young man just for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy-sevenfold. See, harm multiplies. It escalates. Starts with the debt, but radiates out. You recognize that number, 77? Kind of good with numbers, so I notice it. 77. Remember how this whole story began. Jesus was answering a question that Peter had asked. And Peter said, hey, Jesus, if my brother harms me, how often do I have to forgive him? Rabbis had told us three times. So Peter, being Peter, doubles it and adds one seven times. And Jesus says, no, I tell you, 77 times. See what he's saying? He's saying, friends, forgiveness multiplies just like harm. It's the opposite equation. He's reversing the curse in the same way that when you've got a debt with God, you go away from other people. Now, when your debt is forgiven, the good news and grace of Jesus Christ pulls people together. That's what he's saying. It'll multiply That's how your relationships are rigged. Your account is all about your relationship, not with other people, but with your king, whether you know it or not. Do you have a debt? Do you owe your king? If you do, it's going to affect your friendship. If you know you're forgiven, you know the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, I said, I'd tell you not only how it's rigged, but what to do about it. Let me first tell you what not to do about it. You don't begin by working with your relationships. You you, you don't go to your friends and try to negotiate a better fit. See, you don't look for new incentives. They tell me you're supposed to use I statements. Look, that's technique. That's law. You do that, your debt only gets bigger. No, Jesus wants to give you a whole new way of relating... He wants to call you to good news, to gospel, and to grace. That's what will make a difference in relationships. So you don't look at your friends. You look at the king. You listen to the king because he wants to say something to you just like he wanted to say something to this slave. I know a lot of you are troubled by this story. I get your letters. You ask me questions like, how come the story begins with mercy and ends with cruelty? Hey, how come this story seems to apply that if you don't forgive other people, then God won't forgive you? Isn't that being saved by works and not grace? 
hey, how come this story ends with this really cruel thing that your father in heaven says he'll send you to some kind of debtor's prison if you don't forgive your brother or sister? Listen, I don't think you're, I don't think you're hearing what Jesus is saying in the story. The problem isn't that Jesus doesn't extend forgiveness. The problem isn't that the king didn't extend forgiveness. The problem is the slave would not hear that he was forgiven. Refused to accept the king's offer of forgiveness and he will not force his forgiveness on you. You see, I don't know what that slave heard. It must have been something like this. He must have heard, okay, I hear your request for more time to go and collect the debt. And I grant it. Go see if you can collect 10,000 talents. But he must have heard something like, well, let me tell you, would I meet you halfway? You know, I've got a little mercy, but I'm going to hold it back until you bring a little bit more money and cut the debt in half. We'll renegotiate it. Or maybe, you know, I'm really interested in incentivizing you to be a better person, so I'm going to hold this back a little bit until you can get on your own moral two feet, and then you come back and we'll talk about forgiveness. Must have been something like that because he went out and started collecting. And the story ends. He's an unforgiven servant, not a forgiven one. By his own choice, he has refused to hear good news. Maybe it seemed too simple a solution in a complex world. Maybe it seemed to undermine his sense of dignity to take a handout from somebody. I don't know the reason. But I do know this. Sometimes it's hard to hear good news. I mean, I heard this story. I knew Jesus personally, face to face. Sometimes it's hard for me to hear good news about myself. I think the person that hurts the most for me when I think back on those days is a, about a friend. His name is Judas. And I don't want you to look down on Judas. Uh, with time, people would begin to call Judas a liar. But I tell you what, I knew Judas. And Judas was a decent man. Judas was a passionate man. He was committed to the cause as much as anybody. He yearned for the day that God's people would live in freedom before God. He was a zealot, Judas was. Jesus picked him himself. Jesus knew. Judas was a good man. Matter of fact, Jesus put him in charge of our bank account. He was the treasurer. I was a little miffed at this. I had no small amount of experience. I guess this maybe my past was a little too close for Jesus. So he said, Judas, you're in charge. Some people think that Judas, at the end, lost his nerve. Some people think that Judas, at the end, had a little bit too much nerve. But I got my own theory. I think the problem with Judas was he just never heard Jesus' good news for him. Judas was there when Jesus taught us all how to pray. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Judas was there that time that Jesus was teaching a small group of people inside a little house and all of a sudden the roof was torn and a paralyzed man was lowered. Jesus looked at him and he said, My son, your sins are forgiven. 
And so that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I also say to you, stand up and walk. And he did. Judas was there when Jesus told us this story about a great king that wants to get out of the whole debt business altogether and settle all of his accounts, if only by forgiveness. And Judas was there that night, that last night. Jesus gathered around the table just like this, the seed of His new community, a people who would have a new way of relating to one another. Just think about who's around that table. Think about the people in the outer rooms of that house and in the streets around that night. Tax collectors, lepers, prostitutes, self-righteous people. And yet Jesus Jesus speaks of a new covenant. When He spoke of a new covenant that night, we all remember the words of Jeremiah. The Lord through Jeremiah had prophesied that someday a new covenant would come that would change everything. Jeremiah 31 reads, No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know Me. From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Judas was there when Jesus lifted a cup of wine. And He said, this cup is the new covenant in My blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Come all and drink this cup. And I was there later that night in the Garden of Gethsemane when Judas came back to Jesus leading a mob of anger, clubs, and knives. But I'll never forget the last word Jesus spoke to Judas that night. One word. Friend. Friend is what Jesus said to Judas. On the night that Judas is drawing down the largest debt the human race has ever incurred, betraying the Son of God, that same Son looks him in the face with good news and says, Friend! But i got to tell you, I think I know what Judas heard. I think all that Judas could hear that night was, You wicked slave. What do you hear? What do you hear the King speaking to you tonight? Do you hear Him say, what I believe He wants to say to every one of us in this room, I forgive you. Your days of paying debts are over. You now know the Lord. You now have grace. If you hear Him saying that, then the account that's between you and every other person you ever relate to is full, not of debt, but of forgiveness. It's like you've hit the forgiveness lottery. You've got more grace than you can get your hands around. You just have to keep offloading it again and again and again 77 times, I say. Let's give thanks to this God. Pray. Thank you. Jesus.
Friend of sinners, who are we to gather in church tonight? But that we fall in a long line of sinners. Famous sinners. None of us has done anything worse than Judas Iscariot. Yet you said to him, what you say to us, Friend, will you hear me tonight? Your sins are forgiven. Forgive us for not being able to hear that about ourselves. Let us have ears to hear. Soften our hearts, we pray, as you gather us around this table again to drink of that cup of your blood. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.